0: This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 62. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now your host, Kristen Trumpy. Happy New Year to all of you. Today we're going to talk about the need for space. Speed. So what is that? That's basically this idea that everything has to happen and it's supposed to have happened yesterday. We want everything instantly and although I can't deny that it's really convenient that you can go to a place like Amazon and instantly buy and get it, you know, same day or a week later or whatever it is, there are some problems with the need for speed and we need an antidote for that. So we're going to talk about that today. So let's get right into it. The cost for our need for speed. I'd like to start with that. And the biggest cost I see personally is strained relationships. If you think about it, what if if you're a parent and you could be more patient, how would that change how you relate to your child? Now, I would argue that that would take out Probably a large amount of stress that you have, because a lot of the times it's you know we you know people scream at their kids and and come on, get ready, do this, do that, we have to go, da da da. And if we could just remove those kind of interactions or change them, life would be very different. And the same is true for couples. Oftentimes when we feel we don't have time for our partner, We don't have time to say a nice word. We don't have time for the things that make the relationship better. Well, what happens to the relationship? It makes us snappier, usually makes us more critical of each other. And the same is true for teachers and students. If teachers start screaming at students because they don't understand what's going on or they get impatient, they don't have to scream. But even if they, you know, sigh like, oh, or something like that, it's it's kind of discouraging, isn't it? So so our need for speed really has costs. Now what other costs do we have? Well, another big one is that we actually stop short of worthy goals because we don't see progress early enough. So if you look at it, health is an obvious one. So people don't don't, you know, go through with whatever their fitness goals are, with their food, they might do it for a week or two, but then the results don't show and and they abort it. Another big one is also that people don't complete therapy because they think it's not working, but actually for therapy to work, you need a certain amount of sessions, usually in most cases. Same is true with academic achievements, so we might actually not start on something that we want to do because we think oh we're not smart enough and if we think we're or we, we we start doing it and then we don't see results fast enough like learning a language for example and that makes us as i said stop short of worthy goals or not even start them because we think we don't have time another feature of not having time is bad responses and decisions and then also very serious things like car accidents due to speeding, which which is a big one. And then there's you know health problems such as digestion problems because we wolf down our food instead of eating it mindfully. So as you can see, our need for speed does have certain costs. Now, it's important for me that you don't think, oh, all speed is bad or drive is something bad. It's not. As with everything, it's a question of, when and in what situation. And the problem is that we have this imperative for speed and we use it actually, we act according to it, even if we're not consciously thinking about, oh, I need to go there as fast as possible. We still do it. But then what do you do with that time? So how can you observe if you are driven by this imperative of speed? Well, you can look at your walking speed Now, of course, there are some people who are just naturally faster than others, and that's okay. It doesn't mean that people who walk slower are good, and those who walk fast are stressed out all the time. That's not necessarily the case. Maybe the fast people are really fit, and they enjoy, you know, feeling dynamic. But if you kind of walk around in this harassed kind of way all the time, and you're not enjoying it, that's kind of the important factor, well, then that tells you something, doesn't it? same is true for driving. If you have to go through red lights and or you can't stand to give someone way every once in a while, well, you are driven by this imperative for speed. And in especially when it comes to driving, very often, it's not a question about wasting minutes. It's a question about letting someone go ahead of you. And that takes up two seconds of your time or three seconds, literally. I mean, what possibly could you do with three seconds of your time that's so awesome that you know you have to get angry at someone else there's nothing really then eating as i said before we oftentimes we eat fast it's uh, something that we do so that we can get back to work and again that leads to all kinds of problems so if you look if you observe yourself how you eat you also get a fair amount a fair idea of how fast your inner clock is ticking, so to speak. Then it also comes down to when you learn something new. How fast do you expect yourself to make progress? Now, that might depend on what you're learning. If you're, you know, you know you're good at languages, you expect it to happen faster. Maybe, you know, you suck at cooking, so you're okay with it. But if you see yourself getting impatient with yourself, whenever you're learning something new, that also means that you have expectations as to how fast something should happen, which might not be realistic. And they just cause stress and pain for no good reason whatsoever. And the same is true for teaching. Maybe you have to teach someone on the job how to use a certain system or something. And it's, it can be frustrating if the other person doesn't understand it, but they don't, Nobody wants to be dumb or look dumb in front of you. Nobody wants to annoy you or take as much time as possible. So we might as well give them the time of day. That's all I'm saying. So, as I said before, are we acting out our need for speed on autopilot? Or is it a necessity? So I'd like to use driving, as I said before, just to illustrate the Benefits and the costs of our need for speed. So if you drive 20 miles, you have, you have some place to go, it's 20 miles away. If you drive at 65 miles an hour, you reach your destination in 18 minutes and 46 seconds. If you speed and you drive 10 miles more, so 75 miles per hour, you reach your destination in 16 minutes. So for the gain of two minutes and 46 seconds, you're willing to get into trouble with the police, stress yourself out and endanger yourself and other drivers. And I think this is one of the many examples that show that we trade other things. We devalue other things at the price of speed. For a return on investment, that's ridiculous. Now, of course, maybe you're speeding to see your newborn baby because your wife is at the hospital. Well, in that case, just good luck and I hope you don't get you know, stopped by the police. But I don't wanna say there's never a good reason to do these things. I just think it's really important to be aware of whether the situation you are in now is a good reason to speed and if what you get out of it With the example I said, 2 minutes, 45 seconds, not worth getting into trouble with the police. It's really not. So the other thing is that are people who, for example, walk faster, are they more punctual? Often, it's actually the case that the people who run everywhere are late, isn't it? If you look at your own life, if you think about these people are always harassed, always running around, Are they the ones who are punctual in the meetings? Usually not. And if they are, they'll make sure to huff and puff and let everybody know. What do you gain from another point where we say that we want to move on and get on is when we listen to other people. What do you gain from not listening properly to the person in front of you? And what do you lose? Those are things that are really important to think about. So let's say for the sake of argument that you get more done when you're rushing around. Do you feel satisfied with what you've done? Or do you beat yourself up about the things that you didn't get done? Did the things you did more really make a difference? And sometimes the answer is yes. But very often people are feeling that they have more on their to-do list regardless of whether they've done, you know, 10 things or 15 things. There's always more on the to-do list than we supposedly have time for. How did I come upon this topic? Well, actually, I was pretty lucky. So this big life-changing moment that happened to me when I was about 17 years old was that I saw someone walking thrilling story so far, isn't it? So I see this guy walking, this guy's actually my teacher, my, he used to be my English teacher, He is Mr. Peter Ellis, and everyone around him was running around, scurrying around, like little, I don't know, like little busy, you know, like, I don't know, like busy little animals, right? And they're all running around and huffing and puffing and 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 everybody's doing it, so that's why the contrast is so big. And then I see Mr. Ellis, cool Mr. Ellis. He's, you know, will retire six months later, so he doesn't have to hurry anywhere. And I look at him, and I just think, you know what? That guy is everywhere on time. He's serene. He's not stressed out. I don't have to wait until I'm 62 to be like that. Why don't I start when I'm 17? And it's funny because now people, even who don't know me that well, they actually recognize me because I walk a bit slower than most people around here. And, you know, the, the cool thing is, I can be fast if I absolutely have to. I don't enjoy it, but I can. But somehow, everything worked out. You know, I, I got a master's degree, I could travel around, I got promoted. And I didn't have to run around all the time like a, what we said, a beheaded chicken. That's something we say in German. Like when somebody is running around like, oh my God, oh my God, ah! So, although I know these virtues and I've known them for a very long time, the value of slowing down. I was recently at a meditation retreat in a Buddhist monastery. And I have to say, when we, when I got there, I noticed, whoa, well, huh. There's still stuff that I do or try to do fast for no good reason or at least faster than would you know than the rhythm of the monastery, so to speak. So for example, when we were eating, I wouldn't say I'm an incredibly fast eater i'm I'm average. But in a Buddhist monastery, if you're average, you're fast. And you know, maybe when I work, that's fine because you know we might want to go outside and have a walk or we have to walk back from the restaurant or whatever it is. But in the Buddhist monastery, there was no reason whatsoever to hurry with eating. So I slowed down. And then we also did walking meditation. Outside, I loved walking meditation. Inside, drove me crazy. It was, you have to imagine, it was a bit like slow motion. You know, watching something in slow motion. We would lift our foot in the rhythm of this extremely slow music or gong or whatever it was. And the first time I did this, I was like, oh my god, this is so annoying. This is too much. This is blah, blah, blah. But then I thought, well, what's your problem? You're not going anywhere. The purpose of the meditation retreat is to do different kinds of meditation. And one kind of meditation is walking meditation. So again, if you walk faster, within that Buddha hole, what good is going to come out of it? And the answer is none. Absolutely zero. So what's the antidote to all of this? Well, it's patience. And patience is not a virtue that is cool. Unlike kindness, it's completely okay to say, I'm not a patient person. If you say, I'm not a kind person, people will probably think, huh, and raise an eyebrow. Maybe they'll be impressed with your honesty, but they will definitely not be impressed with your lack of kindness. With patience, it's different. It's a virtue that it's okay to lack, and our culture even encourages us to lack it a bit. So patience is defined as the ability to wait despite frustration, challenges, or suffering. And one quote that I heard or read years ago, so I happen not to know who said it or who wrote it, said, and I like that definition more, although it's not a scientific definition, and it said, patience is not about the ability to wait. It's about how you behave while you're waiting. So yeah, I like that one. So all religions... And major philosophies address the importance of patience. In the West, as I said, it's undervalued because it's a low-key emotion. The West usually prizes intense positivity, such as joy. And it neglects things like serenity or patience. In the East, it's the other way around. We like to think that we can achieve everything. Patience helps us to deal with the fact that nobody ever gets everything they want. We live in an age of comfort and convenience so we expect things to happen instantly. So when they don't when they don't happen instantly, we get frustrated. So for that, it's really helpful to build up the ability to be patient. Now, patience is both an internal experience and an outwardly visible behavior. So people often it has been found that actually people think from the outside that we are more patient than we judge ourselves to be. And that's because we only see outward behavior, but don't see how someone else feels about something. This is important also for other things to remember. What we see is not the complete picture at all. The emotional reality of someone inside can be very different from what we can observe on the outside. We often talk about patience as if it were one thing. However, it's possible to be very patient with other people, but be a very nervous driver. Patience is not only about delaying gratification or denying ourselves in some other way. When it comes to gratification, we have a choice. When it comes to situations where we are forced to be patient, patient we don't have necessarily a choice. People. Think that patient people are pushovers and doormats, but that's not true. It has been shown, you know, in scientific studies that assertiveness is not correlated with patience whatsoever. So you can stand up for yourself, make yourself heard, but at the same time, be a patient person. Just because these things have don't have anything to do with each other. So what are the benefits? Well, patience increases well-being, life satisfaction hope, self-esteem. Patient people work harder on goals. Patience helps us to achieve and sometimes redefine goals and it increases both our pleasure and a deeper sense of achievement. Also, patient people are less affected by depression and loneliness. And I understand the depression link because the problem with depression is that we feel that there's no way out. Whereas a patient person might feel, well, there's no way out right now, which makes a huge difference. However, the loneliness part, I find that surprising, but hey. And then, last but not least, when a situation can't be changed, patient people work to change themselves, which is way more successful strategy than all the alternatives. Now, consider what would happen if we were all a little bit more patient. Think about how the quality of marriages would improve, how the relationship between doctors or therapists and patients would improve. Research has shown that 11 to 13 sessions of therapy are needed for most people to get better, but that most people quit between six to eight sessions. Think about the amount of suffering. People who start something and they fail at therapy and and they're not necessarily better, they're probably worse. But then they've also lost hope, which is horrible. So think about how how important patience is, and think about, as we talked before, teachers and pupils, or work relationships. If we wouldn't just expect everybody to do everything as fast as possible, but really distinguish between the things that need to be done fast and the things that need to be done slow. And I've been doing that at work for years, and what happens is that actually, you know, I'm not the fastest, and I don't see the point of being the fastest in everything all the time. But when it's really important, I'll make sure that I get something done, and I've seen that that's what happens for me as well. So I'm very laid back with the things that I can be laid back about. So I'll just say, like, look, you can do this within a week. That's no problem. But usually those people get stuff to me even faster because they... They like the fact that I don't stress them out. They know that, oh, if they don't, you know, if if they don't feel like it or they have something else that's urgent, I'm not going to be a moron about it. But they also know that if I ask them to do something fast, that it's important. And then they go above and beyond to make sure that everything gets faster to me. So I would argue that slow can be sometimes faster. So if patience is that great, how can we work on our patience? Well, I have to be super honest here. The research on patience is really in its infancy. It's not a lot of band. And I hope if you've been listening to a couple of episodes of the positive psychology podcast, maybe you've kind of noticed how what is popular in in society at large is also more popular in science. And if people don't care about patients, well, there are less scientists who will look at it, although there are more now. So at the time when the chapter was written, from where I'm taking this, this you know, the work on patients, which is from Acacia Park's book, Positive Interventions, there's only one program. So that program was structured, it was four 30-minute sessions. The first focused on awareness and what causes positive and negative emotions. When you're, if you're interested in that, I suggest you go back to episode three, which is about emotions. Two, practice emotion regulation by looking at what can prevent stressful situations, but also how to appropriately react if we can't prevent something. And se- sessions three and four, they're coping with conflicts in an empathetic and compassionate way. Daily stuff that you can do le- if you don't have a scientist uh, a patient scientist up your sleeve. Well, the first is apply a bit of awareness of when speed is needed and when it's not. And when it's not, take your foot off the gas, just as at an experiment. Everything that I say on these podcasts I can't guarantee that all of it is good for everyone. It's probably not. But what it would be nice would be if you try it. What happens if you get off the gas every once in a while? And then if it works, cool. If it doesn't, well, maybe you have to do something else. So what other daily stuff can you do? We can try to see what happens if you eat slower. If you stop at yellow lights, instead of speeding through them, if you walk slower, if you listen without formulating a reply in your head or thinking about something else. Try those out and it would be actually really cool to hear from you guys. What, what were your experiences? I would love to hear your experiences. So, December was a record-breaking month for the Positive Psychology Podcast. I have no idea what happened, although I have some indication, but... Somehow we got 63% more downloads than in the previous record-breaking month of November. So what happened? Well, your reviews, that's what happened. I see that something that reviews were posted in the US, Canada, Britain, maybe others. I'm not sure yet about that because once a month I get an email. And there I see it, and that will be tomorrow. And I will as, as soon as I get the reviews, I will read some of them, of course, here. And I don't know the details, but what I do know is that remember how I ask you for reviews so that more people can find the podcast? Well, apparently that's actually even true, and you guys have proven it to be right. I'm so happy. I'm not even going to ask you to submit a review because, you know what? It's going so well. Relax. Don't share. Don't review. Just enjoy the Positive Psychology podcast, and a special thanks to those who made it possible, you will be acknowledged in the next episode. Thanks so much to those who posted reviews, shared it with their friends or a friend. Maybe there's one person who needs to listen to a particular episode. And yeah, to those who did the sharing, thank you so much. We also, I also saw that there's some new countries where we have listeners from. Now, the USA knocks it out of the park and accounts for over half the listeners, followed by... Australia. But we also have some regular listeners in places you wouldn't expect, like Burkina Faso. Hello, Ouagadougou. China, Qatar, or Guadeloupe. Well, hello there. It's so cool that you're tuning in. I mean, as I said before, it's really awesome to have a global audience. But what's even cooler than that is knowing that positive psychology is popular and people are interested in it all over the world. It's not just something that is important to, you know, me and us and the regular suspects. So I'm grateful for that. Okay, so once again, uh, happy, healthy, and prosperous and meaningful 2016. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yoghurt.